1999 The Podcast is a production of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts on movies, comics, and all things pop culture, head to cageclub.me. To contact us with questions, comments, or just to say hi, send us an email at 1999 at cageclub.me. You can find me on Twitter at ProbablyRealJB and Joey at SoulPopped. And you can follow the show on Twitter at 1999thepodcast. To support the show, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. The show is written, produced, and edited by us. Welcome to 1999 The Podcast. I am John Brooks. And I am Joey Lewandowski. Joey, how are you? I am good. How are you? What's going on in Joey world? Oh, what's going on? Um, Let's see. What is going on in my world? Not a lot. Uh, We are in summer months. I'm about to go on a trip. You're about to go on a trip. So we're recording extra episodes in advance, which is nice. Um, I'm watching the movies of the summer 1999. I actually don't know when this came out. I don't know if it's summer or not. Don't Mm -hmm. have to do the research for the intros that I don't write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah i think just the uh, things are going on podcast yoga the sore same normal thing what about you what's going on in, jo- in joey world for you oh i'm 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 keeping it together um wait did you just okay let's get the, joke. the whole thing just so you can make that joke no it's not i don't even know why i said that uh i'm good everything's good well because um, you watched bowfinger <laughs> <laughs> yes which always makes things better yeah i'm fine i don't know off to uh what day is it now it's the seventh so i have been in england for a couple days as you are hearing this Um, i will have recently gone to a charity soccer game at stanford bridge which is where chelsea plays uh which includes a lot of like former and current players and uh a bunch of celebrity guests and players as well and playing on one of the team is sam obisanya from uh, Ted Lasso. Ooh. Playing on the other team is Jamie Tart. I'm gonna have to root for. So, uh, it was awesome. <laughs> T- two days ago, um, that's very exciting. Yeah. Yes. It 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 will have been great when you hear this. And it was two days ago. Oh no! This, if today is the seventh, that means I just got back yesterday from my trip, and it was oh. also great. Fantastic. Uh, it's so weird being in the future while also in the past anyhow uh not not anything to report in the news of 1999 this time around but i do have an interesting bit of baseball trivia which i think is kind of fun so today is uh, august the 7th as i said so uh, we like baseball we like baseball trivia 99 was a pretty uh, interesting year for baseball and some 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 landmark milestone things happened uh david Cohn, of course threw his perfect game in yep. july right late july um august feels right 5th, feels like a baseball month august 5th 6th and 7th august 5th mark mcguire hit his 500th home run i've heard of him august 6th tony gwynn got his 3000th hit going four mm-hmm. for five uh which is pretty impressive and the next day august 7th which was today in 99 wade boggs got his 300 there are 3000 hit and is the first major league baseball player and probably i think i think still the only one uh to do so with a home run so there you go i think Derek cheater did too i think <gasps> oh i think you're right i think you're right yes so wade boggs Derek cheater anyways but he was definitely the first um tampa bay ray to do it tampa bay devil ray to do it mm-hmm. 
I think it's wild that Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs got 3,000 on consecutive days. That just doesn't seem statistically likely, but baseball is a weird sport full of... Baseball is a very weird sport. Weird trivia. Uh, anyway, that's that's what was going on at the time. Uh, the Sixth Sense just came out August the 2nd. So uh, that's, that's, that's where we are finding ourselves as we enter into today's movie which unlike our last movie is one of the four movies of 99 that actually does co-star robert downey jr uh released august the 13th which is kind of my birthday um it comes in at number 35 on the list of highest grossing movies of the year earning 66 million dollars domestically and nearly 100 million worldwide on a 55 million dollar budget it stars Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy again, Heather Graham, Christine Baranski, Jamie Kennedy, Terrence Stamp, whose year was 1999, and Robert Downey Jr., as I just mentioned, written by Steve Martin and directed by Frank Oz. Today, we are talking about Bowfinger. Joey, what's Bowfinger about? Bowfinger is about Bobby Bowfinger, played by Steve Martin, a failed, desperate producer who decides to make a low-budget movie titled Chubby Reen based on a crazy <laughs> script about aliens invading Earth. Bowfinger lacks the necessary funding and star power for his project. However, he deceives his crew into believing he secured Kit Ramsey, played by Eddie Murphy, a neurotic A-list actor, as the lead. In reality, he plans to film Kit unknowingly and work these shots into his movie. Kit, who is already paranoid, believes he's genuinely being pursued by aliens, leading him to seek help from a pseudo-scientific organization called Mindhead. Mm -hmm. Unable to film enough scenes with Kit, Bowfinger hires Jif, also played by Eddie Murphy, who looks exactly like Kit, though he's meek, naive, and good-natured. We eventually learn that Jif is Kit's brother, and his charm and good nature leads him to become more central to the production. Meanwhile, Daisy, played by Heather Graham, uses her charm to manipulate her way up the Hollywood ladder by sleeping with almost everyone involved in the production. <laughs> everything leading to Everything leads to the Griffith Observatory, where Bowfinger manages to trick Kit into unknowingly participating in the final critical scene of Chubby Rain. As they're about to get the movie's iconic line, gotcha, suckas, Kit's team literally flies in and shuts down the production. Chubby Rain gets its screening and is hailed as a masterpiece. <laughs> While celebrating their success, Bowfinger finally gets his FedExes and finds himself on the upswing in Hollywood. He and his crew end the movie by filming another movie, Fake Purse Ninjas, starring Jif, this time in Taiwan. And that's Bowfinger. That is Bowfinger. Bowfinger could not have come at a better time for any of its three biggest names. Oz began his feature directing career in familiar territory with the Henson Studios fantasy Dark Crystal in 1982, followed by the best of the Muppet movies, The Muppets Take Manhattan in 1984, followed by his first foray into live action and first of several successful teamings with Martin in the wacky musical Little Shop of Horrors in 1986. He would team up with Martin twice more, first in 1988 for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels alongside Michael Caine, and then again in 1992 for House Sitter with Goldie Hawn. Oz was also coming right off the critical and commercial hit In and Out in 1997, which happened to star 1999's most cursed star yet, one we've talked a lot about lately, Kevin Klein. By 1999, Martin was in need of a return to form, having come off of a string of duds like A Simple Twist of Fate, which is actually a decent movie and the best of that era, followed by the likes of Mixed Nuts, 
now a cult Christmas favorite, Father of the Bride 2, and the Dyer, Sergeant Bilko, and the Out of Towners. Tellingly, his best film of this period was a dramatic turn in David Mamet's The Spanish Prisoner in 1997. Martin always wrote very well for himself, as he demonstrated in classics like The Jerk, Roxanne, and L.A. Story, and so penning his own screenplay and handing it to a director he had worked with seemed like a sure bet, and it was. But he was also, apparently, someone who wrote very well for Eddie Murphy, who he knew very well from, among other things, SNL, where Murphy broke through and for which Martin hosted roughly 19,000 times. Murphy's career had hit a similar snag before the late 1990s after a string of huge comedy hits like 48 Hours, Trading Places, and Beverly Hills Cop in the early 80s, which, by the way, have you seen, Are you, like, do you know the early Eddie Murphy 80s movies? Where are you in Eddie Murphy? I've seen all the Beverly Hills Cops, okay. and I've mm-hmm. seen the first 48 Hours, and I've also okay. seen both of his huge, enormous stand-up specials. Okay. Um, so I haven't seen, like, every, okay. oh, I also saw Trading Places. So I've seen, like, most oh, so of, you, if not okay, all of good. the big stuff. Okay. Okay. I mean, all, all yeah, all of that, almost all of that is in the last like five years. Like that's basically okay. all like COVID era where I was just like, let me explore this hey, guy, this Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy. <laughs> oh, got it. Uh, Murphy's track record began to sour with the diminishing returns of another 48 hours and the Beverly Hills Cops 2 and 3. So-so comedies that never made the best of him, like Distinguished Gentleman and Boomerang in the early 90s all culminating in the legendary terrible vampire in Brooklyn in 1995. And then in 1996, Tom Shadiak, fresh off making Jim Carrey a huge movie star with Ace Ventura, brought Murphy back to life with the mega hit remake of The Nutty Professor, a $50 million movie that made over a quarter of a billion worldwide. But as well-received as Nutty Professor was, the real, raw, absurd, versatile Murphy was still lying dormant. Bowfinger, with its dual roles, allowed Murphy to indulge his best comedic instincts, playing a parody of himself and the diva action star in the person of Kit Ramsey on the one hand, and reviving his buckwheat awkward absurdity and the character of Jif on the other. This, for many, was the real Murphy, and it's still often cited as his best movie and role. Bowfinger did well and has gone on to become a cult classic, but it was, at least at the time, better loved by critics than audiences. Its Rotten Tomatoes score is certified fresh at 81, with over 100 reviews, but only has a 61 audience score. Metacritic users, however, who tend to be more into this sort of movie in general, give it a higher user score of 8.3 to go alongside its very respectable 71 critics score. Among those critics, Metacritic ranks four of them as 100s, including Time's Richard Schickel and Entertainment Weekly's Owen Gleiberman, followed by a 95 from TNT Rough Cuts, M. Megan yeah. McCarthy, who called it. Yeah, we love them. And I don't know how you keep picking movies that they <laughs> review and I don't get to pick movies they review, but like I am over three this season I know. on TNT Rough Cuts. Actually, well, they could have reviewed Simon Says. I did not dig deeper because I did not need to see what they said, but... Let's say that they didn't review what Simon Says, because I don't I think doubt, they did. I doubt that they did. Um, anyway, Megan McCarthy, uh, who called it one of the funniest movies of the year. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars, writing, quote, Bowfinger is one of those comedies where everything works, where the premise is not just a hook, but the starting point for a story that keeps developing and revealing new surprises. Like a lot of Steve Martin's other writing, it's also gentle and good-natured. He isn't a savage ironist or a vulgarian, and when he makes us laugh, it's usually about things that are really funny. Shell-shocked in this year of gross and grosser comedies, we turn to Bowfinger with merciful relief. 
Most critics were in various degrees of agreement with Ebert, and none outright despised the film, but some found the writing premise and delivery too thin or superficial. The worst review comes in at a 40 on Metacritic, and it came from Salon's Andrew O'Hare, who wrote, quote, It's little disappointing to emerge from the movie theater feeling that Bowfinger never manages to transcend its summer megaplex environment for all its geniality and its total lack of dick jokes or fart noises. I'm not exactly complaining. This is more than adequate entertainment for a rainy, possibly even a merely overcast afternoon. But the combined talents of Martin and Eddie Murphy ought to produce more than an old school Saturday Night Live sketch stretched to 90 minutes with a lot of random comic business. There are some good laughs in this good natured Tinseltown send up but I kept feeling that Bowfinger was kind of a placeholder and that the real movie was happening somewhere else. I'll bet hanging out with Eddie and Steve after the shoot every day was a lot more fun than anything we get to see on screen. So that's Bowfinger. Let's get into it. So Joey, who is our guest today? Our guest today is film editor, movie programmer, and Nicolas Cage superfan, and Bowfinger, I think, superfan, Greg McLennan. All right, we'll be right back with Greg. Well, Greg, welcome to 1999 The Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. It is an honor to be here. It is an honor to have you. Uh, we Joey Joey gave the briefest of bios uh, about you before we... Greg, here's what I said about you. Yeah. Film editor. <laughs> film editor. Yeah. Unde- yeah. Undeniable film editor. Fair enough. Film programmer. Don't know if you still do it, yeah. but like that's how I met you. That's how I, that's how I got to know you. That's how I. That's how I. Uh, I made money for a while. Yeah. And Nicholas Cage and Bowfinger, super fan. Yeah. No, I am a big fan of both of these things. That's very true. Yeah. No. Uh, back in the day, we actually did a, a month long Steve Martin series that was called A Wild and Crazy Guy, and uh, one of the absolutes <laughs> that we had to show on thirty five millimeter was Bowfinger because it's just the best. Very exciting. Uh, what are some of the uh, the What are some of the stuff you work on? What are some of the films you you've 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 made? Uh, I worked. What, uh, what I do you Paper edit, Street. Greg? That's what I'm asking you. Uh, what is it you I edit? Pre- I uh, predominantly make uh, movie trailers a lot of the time. I just uh, finished nice. editing a trailer for the guys who did uh, Bad Boys Three and the upcoming Bad Boys Four. They made this cool, uh, like, Iranian uh, action movie uh, in between. Uh, and then oh. I have a movie starring Frank Grillo as a practical werewolf movie that's allegedly coming out this fall. Cool. I just watched the movie Plane. And it reminded me when you said Frank Grillo, I thought of Gerard Butler. Greg, do you like the movie Plane? Uh, you know what? Uh, I guilty as charged. I do like the movie Plane, uh, contrary to its misnomer of a name, because I found it to be quite exciting. It is, yeah. It's it's like as straight down the middle as you can get, and real solid. And I would watch a yeah. hundred of them. Yeah, no, I was like, this. Uh, you need to put at least twenty of these out a year, studios, and I need them to direct to a video, and I need to be able to gobble them up. Yep, agreed. There's something about those like single noun movies that's a genre, and like it 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 goes down a very particular lane, like Anaconda, right? It's just like that's there you go. Plane. Well, they're doing a sequel to Plane called Ship, so they're going to keep yeah. this going. There's so many different methods of conveyance that they can just put Gerard Butler in. Yeah, very exciting. <laughs> very exciting time to be alive. Well, it's all it's all my culture. I understand for that sequel, right? Gerard Butler's fucked off. He's like, hey, I'm not. I'm just here to launch the universe. The, the transportation universe. <laughs> I think, like, there, there's the diehard problem, right? Where it's like, how many times can this happen to the same guy? But, like, it doesn't have to be the same character. Just have a different character who looks like Gerard Butler and just throw him on a boat. 
I swear to God, they should just keep doing buddy ups, but they just do it with a pay it forward where they just get somebody new to, to patch them on. And then they go, and now you're going to be on a tricycle. Love it. Let's do it. They're going to have to get more specific about the subgenre of mode because, you know, like there's like plane, train, you're feel stupid. Yeah. Part eight, when they're on speedboat, you call bullshit already. Yeah, right, 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 yes, yeah. There's, like, pogo ball? I, like, I don't know, It's it gets real It gets real specific after you, when you narrow yourself down to just the broad category of transportation. I'm just glad that you got to pogo ball that quickly. I figure, like, eight, right? Eight? That's the yeah. eight yeah. most <laughs> common form of transportation, right? I mean, it took ball? nine for Fast and Furious to go to space, so if, if, if the yeah. vehicles get to pogo ball by eight, I think they're ahead of the curve. I wish you had a diesel-powered Rubik's Cube to figure this out. Ooh. Plane, or... boat, train, car, spaceship, etc. Pokeball. Sure. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 Segway, Pokeball. Um, Subway? Technically not a train. That's a train. It's a train. Well, it's a train. Yeah. That's a train. Uh, Pokeball is Pokeball. <laughs> Yeah, no, fair enough. We got we, we, we got right there. This is the hard hitting stuff that I thought we were going to tackle. Whenever you guys were like doing nineteen ninety nine, going to talk about Bowfinger. Let's talk about Bowfinger then. <laughs> All right, so put me in your uh, your your sort of generational range. How old are you in nineteen ninety nine? When's the first time you see this movie? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I have very vivid memory of uh, being like. 15, 16 years old, and my mom taking me to go to the theater to go see this because uh, she worked, and so I would uh, go see like a movie with her like every Sunday. Oh, nice! Uh, and uh, I remember going to see Bowfinger in the theater and like her completely losing her shit to it, and we just <laughs> having the greatest time. <laughs> it's that like generational like humor that's just like slapstick, funny, just good natured greatness that uh, Steve Martin like was able to distill, and Frank Oz just has like a. A very particular skill set, but like I was like I was raised on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and like watched mm. it over and repeatedly. So I mm-hmm. felt like I was like predisposed to already like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've been a you've been a bowfinger guy from from the so you saw it in August of ninety nine. Like you saw it. I don't want to seem crude, but we call it bowfingering. Uh and yeah, I've been bowfingering <laughs> for quite some time. I too have been bowfingering for for quite some time. Um, so Joey, I talked in, in the intro a little bit about your your knowledge of Eddie Murphy, etc. We haven't really talked about your Steve Martin background. I, I less, kind of less clear. Okay, so that's interesting because I like you told me that you've you know you, you discovered who Eddie Murphy was two years ago, or whatever. But did somebody just accidentally show you Raw? Like what happened? How <laughs> no, did you just I, discover I, I, Eddie Murphy two years th- ago. There was a time where like, well, I think it was. It was the first year of COVID where I'm like, there, I'm just going to tackle some like blind spots. So I did like all the rush hours and I did all of the Beverly Hills cops. And then I was also like, I'm going to work through a bunch of stand up. And like I were, I saw Delirious and Raw. And then I also from there went to like trading places. I saw Coming to America. Like I just saw a bunch of his big stuff from, you know, the 80s. And I, I had seen 48 hours a while ago. But yeah, Steve Martin, I, I'm looking now like I'd seen I've seen his what does he have one scene a little shop of horrors i've seen planes trains father the bride i saw recently in parenthood but like that's kind of oh and i saw my blue heaven which i really, really like a lot but like mm-hmm. i don't really my know is the best and then i've seen the first season of only murders in the building but it's not like and i've seen stuff here and there or whatever but like i feel like even though i you know the list keeps getting bigger and bigger 
I'm not super familiar. Like, I don't know that I've ever heard his stand up. Like, I don't know his, like, I know that that's, you know, a big part. I haven't, I haven't read any of his books. I know he's got at least one, if not multiple books out there. His so banjo album. I feel like I'm more well versed in the Eddie Murphy. Yeah. 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 So I don't know, but like, I like him. I think he's, I think he's fun and I think he's really good in this movie. Um, and I think he also has maybe one of the famous, my favorite moments in the movie where he rips off his little rat tail, which I thought was very oh funny. So I was like, is he, did he, did he really write a movie where he has a rat tail? And then he rips it off. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. that's even better. Not to play all my bow fingers right off the head here, but I remember distinctly getting like a promo box for the uh, movie Bowfinger. And it was like a, a really like enforced, nice, like uh, embossed box. And inside it, it had like overly large, like nerd Coke bottle glasses with Bowfinger branding on the side. Awesome. One of the items was a clip on like silver ponytail. I love it. So you could go around like you had a Bowfinger uh, ponytail. But I had never seen, I never, so j- just to, just to put a bow on my Steve Martin, this is yeah. the second movie I think John in this podcast, along with the mummy where you're like, you're going to love this. Cause Greg, I had never seen this before this week. And yeah. you know, once we started the podcast, I was like, I'm not going to watch any movies from this year because I'm going to save them for the show, whatever. And I knew that the big glaring omissions, at least in terms of the ones that John said I was probably going to love were the mummy and this, and I did not love the mummy. And so that made me even worried, more worried for this, but I love this movie. I think it's great. And I will, you know, we can talk about it a little bit more, but like, I think that, you know, in terms of the Steve Martin of it all, I think this sort of helped me get more insight into him than to Eddie Murphy. Like I already knew like what yeah. Eddie Murphy and who Eddie Murphy was and like what he could do. But I think this was a little bit of a nice sort of um, exploration into, you know, Steve Martin. Cause I think this is, I've only seen this in Shop Girl of the movies that he's written. Like I have not seen mm. Don't Don't Kill Me, Three Amigos. I've not seen. I've not seen The Jerk. So, in terms of him as a writer, this is this is a big one for me. Yeah, Jerk's a Jerk's classic, but I really like uh, the Lonely Guys uh, with uh, Charles Grodin. It's a very good movie if you have not seen it. Okay, he, he plays a lonely guy who uh, writes a book on how to be a lonely guy, and he is friends <laughs> with other fellow lonely guys. Wild and crazy Sounds guy. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I, L.A. Story is one of my favorite movies, um, favorite comedies ever, and and She's a good Dirty, one. Rotten, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels as well. Um, yeah, I saw this. So my so like my birthday is kind of August thirteenth. So I, I definitely saw this. I saw this with my parents, and I can't uh, maybe some other people. I have so many follow up questions about your kind of birthday, but for I'm my birthday, so I'll okay, I'll, I'll explain why. So like I was born in England. And I was born on August 14th at 2.30 in the morning in England, which anywhere oh, in the U.S. So over here is August okay. 13th, right? So, I've so always, you were born on August 14th? I was born on August 14th, which in America is August 13th. Right. But like I was born in Canada, but I still celebrate my birthday on the same day. <laughs> like, I, 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 like even the Korean people just erased their Korean age and you're sure, still holding sure. on to an American birthday? No, so I I just use it because like I turn the next year, like the time that I turn, you know, like like my actual age turns happens in the U.S. on August the thirteenth. So if there's ever like a conflict, I can just pick one of which which day works better for everybody's schedule, and like that's always been handy because I really don't care, you know, which of those is officially my birthday. I actually, it's funny, I have a friend who is younger than I am. Uh, but his birthday is the day before mine, which is really fucking annoying, uh, especially when we turn 21. But he's several hours younger than me, but was born on August 13th in California. <laughs> yeah, how was that bu- buying your first beer, just arguing about the position of the sun relative it, to your age? Literally, that's exactly what happened, and it fucking sucked. John has had a lot of different British eccentricities. This is the most British and the most eccentric thing that I've learned about yeah. this. So the, we're, we're both learning something tonight, Greg. And I, yeah. I don't know that I like it, but I also just, it, it doesn't surprise me. Sure. 
anyways, so yes, uh, this this came out on one of my two birthdays, uh, either the day I turned twenty or uh, the day before, depending on on who you ask. Um, yeah, and I I became an evangelist of this movie like pretty much immediately. Uh, it was one of a handful of movies where I was like, "You must see this uh, to everybody who didn't," because like, a lot of people didn't see it because it got kind of drowned out in, uh, as we know, a pretty busy summer, and especially a year with like a lot of comedies, some of which were not so great, some of which were amazing, uh, some of which were not so great, but also made a ton of money, like American Pie. Um, and so it's weird that I think this, which is such a return to form for Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy, that this wasn't just like massive, but it also is very, it's very Steve Martin, which means it's very sort of like offbeat and quirky and Steve Martin writing for himself, which is like always when he does his best work. Right. So, um, yeah, I have, I have loved this movie uh, from the get-go and re-watching it for the first time in several years uh, today, I, I laughed out loud by myself <laughs> many times. That's always, that's always even the, though I already know the jokes of a great it comedy. Really whenever you're laughing by yourself and looking around going, oh God, yeah. you're so good. You work on nothing. <laughs> yeah, I never laughed at myself. I never laughed at myself. No, I mean, it's weird because like I remember watching in the theater it was a huge fan and like an instant kind of classic for me and i was a similar person being like oh that movie's great go check it out uh and then like watching it like over the years as i've grown up whenever somebody brings it up and i'm like oh that's great and then you sit down and you watch it with somebody it's just amazing like to watch it people are like oh like was this nominated for an academy award or like was eddie murphy and you're like yeah no definitely should have been right like he's like everybody's yeah. so good in this film yeah i mean christine baranski also like who is just a fucking legend yeah but baranski's always coming in at a 110 and just knocking it out of the park <laughs> and even like jamie kennedy i forgot how good jamie kennedy is in this movie too because i always think of him as kind of a placeholder but like Knowing who Jamie Kennedy is now and realizing like that this is actually a really funny, nuanced, great performance from him. Um, everybody in this is like firing in all cylinders. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Kennedy is absolutely the most tolerable he's been this side of Three Kings. <laughs> I I just watched and rewatched, depending on which movie it was, the entire Scream franchise, and I was like, he is so pleasantly tolerable and enjoyable in the first one and then the second one i'm just like mm, doesn't really work for me but like again the same thing we're just oh, like nice. jamie is this really jamie kennedy that i'm i'm liking and appreciating and like wanting to see on screen and that's there's two yeah. movies in the last month where he's like yeah that's pretty good yeah no it's it's a right around the time that he became malibu's most wanted is whenever he started getting real high on the jamie kennedy supply <laughs> Then there was that whole Jamie Kennedy experiment that went on way longer than anybody wanted that turned him into a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Y yeah. He kind of fell into, I mean, we talked about this last time with Simon Says and we were talking about Dane Cook and, and, and Jamie Kennedy kind of fell into, in like the 2000s, a little bit of that like fratty douchebag comedy guy um you know like the dude who like that fucking ridiculous show whatever the fuck that is on mtv never learned his name but i know exactly who you're talking about that guy's so irritating yeah, that fucking guy and and he was kind of doing that with the jamie kennedy experiment which actually like there were some really good sketches I, there were some really good pranks on that show um it was better than than most of its ilk but yeah it's kind of a shame because he did sort of fall into that sort of like 
you know, frat boy humor sort of role. And he is much better than that. Like he really, really is. I mean, he's, he's kind of like Matthew Lillard where they're, you know, they're both, I think, very, very good. They just sort of were, I don't know. It was like the, the, the atmosphere of uh, being a sort of young sort of comic actor at the time, just you had to do certain things and cause Ashton Kutcher made you do it. And so like, yeah, that kind of sucks. But like, he genuinely is very funny, and he is he is a he's a very gifted comic actor. And I, I kind of wish, I hope he has a sort of like what's he what's he done lately? Because I kind of want him to have like a. I think he like got like shit faced while hosting like a New Year's thing like ten years ago, and like got banned from TV or something. Oh, cool! That's good. I like that. That's fine. I think he's doing fine. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, he's a Kennedy. They always uh, fail upwards. <laughs> He's a Kennedy. He's not a Kennedy, though, is he? He's not a real Kennedy. Oh is no, he yeah, he's, he's a real Kennedy. He's the Jamie Kennedy experiment. He's just as real as any other Kennedy. Okay. If you're talking okay. about a relation, a no, absolutely not. I didn't mean to give that impression. I didn't think so. <laughs> I'm like, as if he was, he is currently one of the best. So it, it looks like, according to his like bios and wikis and stuff like that, he has effectively not done anything of note in the last decade or so. But it seems like up until around 2010, 2012, he was pretty consistently on TV and in things. And then, you know, maybe like what Greg said, uh, and we are no longer, you know, privy to the life of James Harvey Kennedy. There's a really good, I'm going to move on from this in a second, but there's a really good Jamie Kennedy experiment uh, (laughs) (laughs) episode called you be the judge. And so the idea was that they were doing one of those, you know, one of those judge shows um, like judge Judy, whatever. And, and the the premise of the show they were making is that random people were going to like service judge, <laughs> and so they would have the people they're playing the prank on, you know, basically preside over these like Judge Judy cases. But the cases were like super serious. <laughs> like one was about like murder. <laughs> oh, man, and I'm so... going to look this up on YouTube. <laughs> it was really, my really algorithm good. Um... and just give me all Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> That's when you open up a private browsing window yeah, right. and you YouTube in that. Anyway, um, go watch that Jamie Kennedy sketch. It's very, very funny. Joey, you are the newest to this movie. You are seeing it. You, you saw it a couple days ago, right? Um, as we're, I've as only both fingered once. You've only both fingered once. Um, so you, you have sort of a fresh lens on this. So I'm wondering, when I'm watching it, there isn't a ton that hasn't aged well as far as I... Like, in terms of you know a lot of the movies like american pie the the whole sort of sexual assault part where we're like oh that's not good um even with like 10 things i hate about you there's some stuff where we're like no that's not that's not great either but um anything really stand out to you that's like is this movie still pretty good comedy i mean does it still like work no i think it's still funny the only thing that i would say in in, in terms of fresh eyes, and I don't think it's bad. I think it just takes on a totally different meaning now. It's like Heather Graham sleeving her way up the right. ladder oh, right. um, is a totally different, like that almost, it like was like, ooh, that's not good. And now it's like, maybe like it's it's kind of satire or parody. Like, whereas yeah. back yeah. then it's just like, oh, this is just what you have to do to succeed. And now it's just like, well, this is what you have to do to succeed. It's just yeah. like, there's like a different spin on it. In the Me Too era. Well, it's supposed to be like a play on and. Hache, because Anne Hache dated Steve Martin, and she was known to have moved around to multiple partners, True. and obviously, like she was a bisexual woman. Uh, and I felt, or like, there's been a bunch like written about like how like it is just a play on like Steve Martin lampooning this actress who 
came through his life and like went around and did these things. Yeah, I, think that, I mean that. It, I don't, I don't true, think it I makes believe. it any any less. No, it, it almost the, that, that, the, exp, the explanation almost makes it worse that yeah. like you know a male writer is like, hey, you know my my slut of an ex girlfriend or like just yeah, whatever. You know, I don't know. Um, I will say that like in terms of the comedy, like not knowing, I had no idea what this was going to be. I thought, I think because of Goldfinger, I thought there was going to be like kind of like a spy spoof. Like I knew it was a comedy, but I did not know what it was. No, that's a and different so Heather when, Graham movie from '99 that we'll get to yeah. later. But keep going. But when I found out what it was, I'm like, okay, so it's a movie about movies, okay. Yeah. And it didn't really click in. Like I was enjoying it, but it didn't really click in for me until Eddie Murphy showed up as Jif. Like when the second Eddie Murphy shows up, I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know. Like I like that was when I sort of like locked in with the movie and like really had a good time. But like until then, I'm just like, okay, like this is funny. And like I see what it's doing, and like I like the premise of it. But then when he shows up and like he gets more involved, and it's just like because there's there's something about like having Eddie Murphy in your movie like that's almost a joke in a way like having Eddie Murphy in your movie but he's not really in the movie because he doesn't want to do the thing then he's at a distance and then to actually bring him in and have him interacting with all your characters I was like okay this is kind of the movie that I wanted once I figured out what I was doing right I mean it's kind of like the career I wanted out of Eddie Murphy with a guy who's willing to like take a joke about himself and also be able to participate in them because I felt like yes from here on out like after he did this and this didn't ultimately work and like he wasn't rewarded with an Academy Award or anything, I feel like almost like he was like, fine, that's fucking out the window and I'm back to being like the coolest, most untouchable like dude on the planet and he's just been like sailing off into the sunset with that kind of mentality. Well, he did get an Academy Award nomination a couple years later um, for Dream right. Girls, but 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 yeah, no, I <laughs> it's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, it is one of the most engaging and brilliant comedy performances I've ever seen. Um, and, and that includes a lot of great Eddie Murphy performances. So yes, it, it deserved an Academy Award nomination. This is not, let's not kid ourselves. It's not the kind of movie the Academy uh, nominates for, uh, for acting awards, but like, I mean, I'd that's, argue that's the same thing problem. about everything Frank Oz touches. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So real quick, I just, I, I just want to touch on like the Heather Graham thing one more one more time as well because like I kept thinking about this as I was watching it. Um, there's something about it that, like still works even in sort of the Me Too era. And Joe, I think you sort of you know nailed it where you said it's like if you think of it as sort of satirizing that trope, like because the first thing that heather graham's character does is like get off the bus from ohio and being like where do i go to be an actress and you know and there's that whole Mm -hmm. sort of joke about you know the sort of midwest girl who shows up to make it big in hollywood and so it's playing with i think a lot of the the kind of stereotypes about how sort of the industry works and also it it sort of makes heather graham's character like the men are also fucking morons and so she's manipulating them more it's not like she's she's like working her way through the power structure she's just kind of like manipulating her way through the what she conceives the power structure to be but like is also ahead of them there's something about it that like yes it's problematic and and i think takes on a new dimension now but there's something about the way that it is presented that I still find it funny, even though I should be. More well, I mean, I think it's because it's 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 done from this perspective on her, where she's the schemer, like she is scheming. Well, that's what I mean, and right. getting what right. she wants out of them. 
the perception right. of it is, you know, what it is. And obviously uh, time is no, is no less kind to those things. But as far as like, like she is the, the agent of what like she wants and she is manifesting that. Right. Like the movie kind of knew that what they were saying was problematic. And I think that's why it works well, because it's, like, it's better, it's better than having the naive girl and have every dude go by and slowly try to like, Humper, it's where she goes like, "Oh, you're in charge," and then like her just trying to right. motivate right. for better treatment of herself. Right, and it's she's also incredibly funny in this movie. It's like everybody is so good in this movie. Um, okay, so back to Eddie Murphy. So when you're saying that he gives one of the best performances, are you saying collectively, or do you think as one of the two characters he's better? Because I'm thinking about like uh, John. I don't know if you know the do you know the movie Possession from 1981, the horror movie Possession. Uh, no. Greg, you know Possession, right? Yeah, very much so. Like, Possession very really might have Isabella Johnny giving, like, the two best performances that have ever been on screen. Like, it's okay. ridiculous how good yeah. she is in this movie. And I'm wondering if you're, like, if we, it's, it's, you know, it's a good thing either way because I think he's amazing. I'm just, I'm curious how you're framing if you think as Kit or as Jip or the two together, if it's, like, what is, do you, do you have a, I guess just a simpler way to ask is, do you have a preference between the two performances, I mean, the two characters? What's your favorite part of adaptation? The Nicolas Cage of it all or the Nicolas Cage of it all? <laughs> like it is a yin to a yang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have both true, of them yeah, in true, order for true, you to go true. like, this is a Agreed. souped up version of Eddie Murphy where it's like funny and enjoyable, but you don't know that that is a full on joke until you get the punchline of Kit. I, um, I genuinely, Jip, for, sorry. like I, yeah, I, I genuinely forget that it's the same per like it, it does seem like there's literally two different Eddie Murphys, right? Like that's how good it is that it seems like they are genuinely two different people. Um and I and I often I'm like, oh no, it's Eddie Murphy's twin brother. It's like, no, it's not. It's 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 all Eddie Murphy. Um I think that Steve Martin knew full well that these are the two modes that Eddie Murphy thrives on the most, where it's sort of like the hothead you know, you know, every other word is like, fuck, you know, piece of shit, whatever uh, the, the kit is. And Mur Murphy does that in a way that's very funny. And so like the really high energy Murphy, right, is there and he's sort of making fun of that and really in that mode. And then also the like super awkward, cringy guy that he also is so good at doing. Like these are really his two sort of comedy wheelhouses and so that he's able to sort of indulge both of them throughout the course of this movie even though the gif doesn't even show up until halfway through it which i completely forgot about right like i i, I it's like 40 minutes in uh before he shows up um but they're both just incredibly funny in their own and very very different ways like one of my favorite scenes is the first scene where kit's agent comes to his house and the whole thing with like the number of times that kkk's in it and like that I, I like i cry with laughter at that scene but then also when i jiff's name is improvised right because like that scene has got to be improvised when he gives the name of like i'm my name is like jiff jiff Ernathan and, and <laughs> you know and then I martin's mean, like what would you say and he's like just J jiff you just call me jiff and he's like all right jiff <laughs> That does seem like a thing that Steve Martin would write also, though. So that's probably something worth looking up. It does. I tried to find it, like, how much of this movie's improvised. Yeah, like, there's a bunch on IMDb where they talk about specific instances of it, but, like, they're always, like, very stupid because it's, like, a memorable line, but it's not necessarily, like, as memorable right. of a scene whenever somebody actually does improvise. 
but no, a curious question. Uh, well, same question, different context. Uh, but whenever you watch one of the Nutty Professor films, do you also mm. see a zillion different Eddie Murphys or do you just see one Eddie Murphy? I see one Eddie Murphy <laughs> in a bunch of different costumes. I, the thing is, so I, I said this in the intro, right? So like, you know, Tom Shadyac like brought Eddie Murphy's career back from the brink after Vampire in Brooklyn and, and a string of just like very mediocre movies. Um, and it was huge and it's a good movie and it's still funny and I still enjoy it. And Eddie Murphy's still having a good time, but it definitely was like, there's this whole sort of thread of Eddie Murphy movies that emerge kind of after that, that are Eddie Murphy kind of mass audience, right? It's so like the Dr. Doolittles and like, you know, Meta Professor two and all that sort of thing, or like daddy daycare and all those sorts of things. Right. So, um, I think Nutty Professor was sort of the beginning of like this different, more box office Eddie Murphy, but Bowfinger was oh, yeah. the he, way. Like he, he, he wanted $20 million a movie after that. After he got back yeah. on top, he goes, let me cash as many of these checks until somebody figures it out. And we Pluto Nash this thing into the ground. Yes. Oh, right. Pluto but Nash. this movie is the guy who made Beverly Hills Cop and like 48 hours in trading places. Right. Like For that's. Sure. Right. That's that's why I think it's so beloved is that it was sort of like, oh, he's still he's still he's still there and he still does this. And people still know how to use Eddie Murphy for like, well, I think that's Eddie why Murphy. you appreciate mo- movies like Dolomite and Dreamgirls to a lesser degree whenever they come around, <laughs> yeah. because you can see yeah. Eddie Murphy trying. And it's so insane to see the difference between Eddie Murphy cashing a check and Eddie Murphy trying. Mm hmm. Well, I mean, and also, you know, to to go back to how I sort of introduced you, it's the same thing with Nicolas Cage. Like, there's something that, like, you you find him compelling in most of the movies he does. And then, like, when he does, like, an actual, not an actual movie, that seems disrespectful to a lot of things he does. But, like, you're like, oh, no, he still has it in him. And, like, and also, I think it, it makes you realize, like, the magic of movies, right? Like, things don't always work, whether it's the actor's fault or the script or the director or the editing or whatever. I mean, editors are always perfect. I, I apologize for even <laughs> mentioning, Craig, that it might have been the editor's fault. We're just trying but to like, clean up the mess everybody else made. It reminds me, of, not to talk about another movie, but like The Killing of a Sacred Deer, where they're like, you know, an, an anesthesiologist can never kill a patient. It's always a doctor. And the doctor's like, a doctor can never kill. It's always whatever. But uh, yeah, I think that there's something about like whenever a movie works or a role works or character or actor works or whatever, just like, oh, right. Like this is so hard to do. And then to see someone like, and I think it's when someone is as talented as Eddie Murphy to see him kind of like not fail, but, you know, not succeed, not deliver. Like, it's even more depressing and a bummer because it's like, no, but like, I know you have it in you. It just for whatever reason didn't come out. Well, I just feel like he is a more successful Adam Sandler in the degree that he made too much mm. money to where he could never rebound to get those Oscars. Whereas like every time the Sandman goes, you're just like, shit, man please keep trying because every time you do, you make something awesome. And obviously like he has like a a basic understanding of it and like, he's so much more self-conscious than Eddie Murphy. But I think like Eddie Murphy, like tries to do the same thing and just isn't as successful or, or doesn't keep taking those risks because like, there's not always the reward there. What have been Eddie Murphy's like successful drama, dramatic roles in the last like decade? Is it just is it just Dolomite and Dreamgirls? And Dreamgirls is even older than that. But, like, yeah, is it, is he, it just those two? He had that one called Mr. Cross or something that came out, uh, but it was oh. like blown Oscar bait. Like I think he had mm. two different oh, yeah. kind of blown yeah, yeah. Oscar bait movies where he was like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to do this and try this again. And like they didn't take traction. Yeah. But it's like he—it seems like he's—he's he's trying for it though. It's just not necessarily. Well, yeah, anything. that's the problem. Yeah, like it's the simple jack of it all. It's like you can't go after it. You just have to let it come for you by putting in the work. 
Oh, yeah. A Thousand Words, I think, was one of them. And then Mr. Church no, was no, the other one. Uh, a Thousand Words is the one where he only has a thousand words left to say, and it's like a high-concept film. Okay. But isn't, okay. It, isn't it like a good-natured one? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Well, that. there was no. also the one that came out this year that was like, you know, so like it had the pedigree of being great, but wasn't. Um where he's, it's the interracial couple, and he's the dad. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, boy, that's recently a, canceled Jonah. Hill. We don't talk about well, that. We, we don't, we don't, and we also yeah. don't talk about Jonah Hill anymore. No, <laughs> he's, 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 he's canceled. Um, yeah, uh, we'll talk about the other movie that he was in this year as well, uh, briefly, because we'll, 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 we'll get to that, um, later on. But yeah, this is a, a, a good year for, uh, role eddie murphy um joey uh actually you know what greg let me ask you this because i because this is this is kind of up your alley um as a one of the critiques that some of the people who did not love the movie but like nobody really panned this movie um in all the critics reviews there's a couple that are kind of lukewarm and one of the critiques is that like it's as a as a satire it's like too broad it's not doesn't really effectively satirize hollywood um as someone who works closer towards the or to the industry than joey and i do uh how do you think this works as something that is saying something about like the hollywood industry the filmmaking process and so forth like is it is it insightful in any like way that we should i mean i wrong to speak about production because those dudes are an entirely different animal but like having been boots on the ground and been on film sets where like i'm not the active helper or person with a direct job at that moment but like everybody has a specific job and like film sets are totally insane but it's 100 just like practical like problem solving on the ground and so like there is a degree of it that like i think that the movie does a very good job of micro satirizing through enjoyable little like anecdotes that serve as like a punchline for people with more knowledge about those things. But I don't think that it keeps anybody at arm's length by any means. Like, I think like it's pretty right there uh, as far as like your enjoyment of the spoof on it. Like it feels pretty accurate as far as like somebody going like, this is the greatest script in the world. And then turning around <laughs> and the, the scramble for money and the lies and deceptions are all got to be a hundred percent true. Right. Um, so Joey, as uh, for, for, from your perspective as satire, like as a as a movie that is not just the sum of its parts, which are all great, but like conceptually as a story, um, how does the movie work for you? I think it works really well. I think this is a nice twist on the movie about movie because it's like they're not successful, but they like have a plan and it's like a new plan and like. For as many movies as I've seen about making movies, both documentaries and like fictional stories, I don't think I'd seen this one because it's like such a weird, specific, funny idea that like, oh, he doesn't want to be in my movie. Well, he's going to be in any- like, it, there's something that's just, like so basic. And I don't mean that as a compliment or as an insult in any way. Like it's just like it's so simple of an idea and it works so well. And everyone on like what's nice about this. And I think we were was it were we talking about it like. In the last episode, I think we were talking about it recently about like people not understanding the assignment and like being in different movies and whatever. Oh, and, like, yeah. within the movie, that we've talked about that that's the problem. Yes. Like, yeah. I, not even like the actors, but I mean like the characters in the movie, like all 
even if they don't understand like what kid is doing or not doing, they're all so into making this movie that it just like their joy and their pride and their willingness to do whatever just is so joyful. Like it just, Mm -hmm. it feels like it's so fun to watch as they're like failing spectacularly, but somehow becoming a success. Like I don't like, there's something about it that's just like so fun to watch. Like even not even like beyond just being funny, it's like fun and just like good natured. Cause like, they're not making fun of kit. Like they're not like making him the butt of jokes. They're like, they're kind of like harassing him and making his life kind of weird. But like, I, I don't know. It just it feels good natured in a way that I that I was able to appreciate and enjoy, and I think it just like everything about it worked really well for me. I mean, I love this the the part of this movie that's like really fun for me is that like the general like simplistic like caveat of the story is like the guy who doesn't want to be in the movie, but the entire manipulation, which is what the audience gets to enjoy, <laughs> is we all were there for the scene that was theoretically funny, but then you get to have right. the ultimate punchline of how they edited it out of sequence in yeah. order to then make it a function of their movie. And so it's like letting an audience in on how like how editing manipulates a scene for you to believe something entirely counterintuitive to what actually was filmed. Right. It's perfect. Like the dog uh, high heel scene is one of my favorite yeah. scenes because <laughs> oh it God. illustrates just how effective folly is. Like yeah, how yeah, you can yeah, use absolutely. all these different yeah. things like on a film yeah. set if you know stuff about like movies. But also aside from that, it's a dog in high heels and it's hilarious. And, like, that's also a joke that they set up earlier. Like, the dog is so well-trained that, like, he will come to you or stop. Like, even, like, very weird, insane (laughs) premises like that still pay off because... But not so well-trained that you don't have to tie up its legs. (laughs) But then Baranski, whenever she's in that scene right afterwards, whenever they're watching the edit uh, where they have, like, her fill scenes, and she's just doing the craziest faces at herself. Oh, God, I love Christine Baranski so much. I just much. wonder I, what I, Frank Oz is saying off screen. He's just like, all right, uh, Christine, let's do one, but with a bigger face. Yeah. Yes, right. Well, having worked with, I mean, a lot of these, like, a lot of the characters in this could have been Muppets <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> they're so broad and they're so expressive. Yeah, it's like... It wouldn't have been as funny without the Eddie Murphy of it all, though, who was originally supposed to be Keanu Reeves, apparently. I know, which is wild and i can see that movie too and i think that movie is also very funny i think it like you can see how keanu reeves would make this movie different but also work because he can do kind of both of those modes but like eddie murphy makes eddie murphy and well, so he, it's sort of... he was in an entirely different movie in 1999 in which his reality was created as a uh, falsehood around him I've, I mean, I've I've heard about that. Yeah. Going back for a second, what if it was still Eddie Murphy, but every other character was a Muppet? <laughs> <laughs> so like that works too. Well, honestly. that's you're telling like the like version where it's told from the perspective of Eddie Murphy slowly going insane, and then it ends <laughs> in an insane asylum, and not at the premiere of Chubby Rain. Uh, yeah, you know that joyous feeling that you were just talking about, Joey. You've just sucked it out of it and turned this into a, just a nightmare. Well, you know, still be fun to watch. Maybe oh, I do yeah, want to no, say without without uh, explain because I think explaining this is kind of a spoiler. I will say that this movie and Tar have like the same ending. Mm. <laughs> they actually put that on the cover of this box uh, at the video store. <laughs> Has the, the same others- ending as Tar. The other, the other weird movie of a totally different genre that I was thinking about while watching this because this is basically how they made that movie is Once, which is like 
they didn't have permission to film anything for that movie. So like a bunch of that movie just shot from like a, a, abandoned houses across the street <laughs> where they're just like getting Glenn Hansard on camera because they don't have any permissions. And you guys are yeah, have uh, very different uh, feels for your double features. <laughs> yes. I think mm-hmm. Tar, I think once and Tar work better as a double feature, but you know, then you could be like, and here's how Bowfinger relates to both. There's them. a weird, there's a very weird Venn diagram with all three <laughs> somehow intersecting in different ways, but not, not the same. Like they don't all overlap, but they no. all overlap with each other in different ways. I, don't know. But I was yeah. just like, huh? All right. Yeah. I look forward to you posting a photo of you in front of a gigantic board with some push pins and some string <laughs> in which you can explain uh, how all these three intersect. Pepe Sylvia, my way through uh, this, this triumvirate of three very good movies. But, I know. You know different movies. What a conundrum you must have found yourself in as you were watching this film for the first time so far removed from its release in order to just be like, oh God, this is just like tar. It's just like tar. <laughs> I, part of me is just like like there's sometimes you see a movie like there was the movie um i think it's is it thrashing is thrashing of josh brolin but there's like five actresses in that movie from twin peaks and i'm just like david lynch at one point like watched this movie and probably really liked this movie and was just like i'm gonna get all these young women in my in my tv show and just part of me thinks that like uh todd field watched bowfinger and was just like i too spoiler for tar i'm gonna send my crew around the world and find joy and success in an asian country where no one else wants them todd field reaches into his pack of big league chew and is like you know what guys i have a second good idea i'm gonna remake remake bowfinger Bowfinger, (laughs) but call it tar That would have been amazing if he won an Academy Award and that was his acceptance speech. He was like, I'd like to give this one to Steve Martin. This one's for Bowfinger. It gets a, we, we all find out about it because it's nominated for Best Adapted. I <laughs> uh, love it. Um, I was going to, I was going to ask. Based on uh, a dream about Bowfinger. <laughs> Uh, got to get back on my train of thought that I had before all of that because I can't remember where where it was going before. Well, let me just ask you then this question because I have a, one one of one of I have several answers. Um, so Joey, you're the newest to this, mm-hmm. so you know you don't have it committed to memory yet. So what um what scenes stick out to you the most? Like, what's the funniest scene in this movie? I do really like the scene with Robert Downey Jr. So, so Greg, we just watched the movie Simon Says. Oh, you're talking about Simon Says when people are not on the same page. But and, Simon Says and mid, is the... And, and Midsummer, like both of those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is a Dane Cook, Dennis Rodman movie. Yep, yep. And I'm, I'm familiar. I don't watch it every year for Christmas, but I'm familiar with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you make it a part of your life. But uh, there was a thing that Dane Cook only filled in because Robert Downey stepped out at the last minute, which is probably... If you, which, you know, someone, I think our guest made the joke, like he finally read the script and was just like, oh, I'm not doing this and then left. And I, as much as I like seeing Robert Downey here, because I think his one scene is very funny, like what I wouldn't give to swap, like I could tolerate Dean Cook for one scene, especially where like he's not really talking, but then to have Robert Downey and Simon Says making that tolerable too, I would yeah. do that. I do like that scene where he's like trying to play it cool and then like his his car cell phone, you know, you see the wires dangling. <laughs> I think that's very, very funny. <laughs> I think the Eddie Murphy sprinting across the highway is very funny. That's obviously the best scene of the movie. (laughs) They're like, all right, cool. Let's do it again. Um, And then talking about like the stunt drivers. Like there's so many things about this that I feel like it's the kind of movie knowing where it's going to wind up. I will enjoy even more the second time around. Um, But I think that the highway scene is going to be the one that I remember. I also just like that Robert Downey scene. And 
I don't know. I, 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 a lot of it really worked for me. And I also think, you know, the one that Greg mentioned before the dog in the high heels and just seeing the high heels underneath the car is just so unbelievably funny. <laughs> the highway scene. Um, so that is, I, I, I just, I can't, everything about that scene and Eddie Murphy's performance. In that, I just like, I, I thinking about it makes me laugh hysterically and they almost cut it because the studio didn't want it in the movie. What? Um, what was their reasoning? I demand, you know, well, you know, kids are going to start running across the highway to Honestly, be like Eddie Murphy. And there's movie. no endorsement um, from my favorite screen actor, Eddie Murphy uh, on screen there where I'm like, you know what I should do? Run across the highway like yeah. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the cool Eddie Murphy. So why would you want to be that one? Oh um, yeah. Braces. What a loser Eddie Murphy. So Steve Martin said, I'm not cutting cutting the funniest part of the movie. So, so it's like, we keep that scene or no movie. And so they kind of relented on that. But yeah, thank God Steve Martin realized that that is clearly the funniest scene in the whole damn well, I mean, movie. I mean, there's a lot of other ones. Testament to the like quality of Steve Martin as a humorist, but also like just as like a movie constructor in that he like basically set up the perfect screenplay to give him the option to pick any sort of sketches that he wants in order to do <laughs> stupid shit to get laughs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think it's another, another example of like just no one making like no one sort of, you know, funding movies or whatever has any ideas about like what should or should not be. And like, I just watched cause we're covering for too fast this week, Terminator two, the episode will be out by the time this comes out. And there's like, they were the blood, the budget was ballooning. And they're like, how can we save money? Let's not do the opening scene where he goes to the biker bar and gets the bike and gets all the clothes. And Arnold's like, only a studio executive would w- want to cut that scene. Like only someone who basically doesn't give a shit about movies would want to take out one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. That's the same thing. It's just like, there's people who are like making decisions for whatever number of reasons. And then you're like, no, this is just funny as hell or like cool as hell or whatever. And we're leaving it in. So I'm glad in both cases. The uh... Well, it was to be fair within like five or so years of the studio having to cut that one scene from that one football movie because the dudes were lying down in the middle of traffic on the highway and then some sorority or frat did it. And they were like, Oh, they all died. And so you got to take that out of the movie. Um, so I think studios were pretty sensitive to like people endangering their lives on the highway. <laughs> That's like a general rule at that point. But yeah. Oh, the program? Apparently when the Disney program. re re-aired it or put it on Disney Plus or something, they cut that scene out. Yeah, they cut it out after like literally they went back and like recalled all of the reels of the movie and cut it out and then sent it back to the theaters. Wild. The program came out. like about like the college football players? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's on Disney yeah. Plus. No, the program is not on Disney Plus. The second search result just says Disney plans to omit scene after teenager dies imitating it, but it's from 1993. So I just assumed it was about Disney Plus, but it's just no, that's actually from when John's talking about. So the thing, my I, bad. I was telling you, yeah. So there was some sensitivity around that, but like you know, thank God. I also got to say, uh, because 1999 is also the year of Terrence Stamp. Uh, Terrence Stamp in this movie mm. is so fucking funny because he's not funny. <laughs> Like, as the straight man and as, like, the, the one person who's, like, deadly serious, it is Well, didn't Steve Martin hilarious. come out, like, multiple times and also say that it has nothing to do with uh, Scientology? And Scientology? Yeah, of course well, he no, did. He, he's, he's, like, it just has anything to do with whatever the fad is. The fad is currently Scientology, but, like, there's constantly a fad also, in Hollywood and he's just making fun of that. that's 
obviously Scientology, and there's nothing oh, yeah, in it for you sure. to be like, oh yeah, that's Scientology. Like, you're never gonna say that. Like, of course he's gonna say, no, what are you talking about? Nothing to do with that wasn't what I was thinking about at all. And like, yes, it absolutely is. That is very clearly Scientology. And when anybody says, Are you making fun of Scientology? You just say no, because what? there's nothing good about saying yes. <laughs> Best part about Steve Martin's humor is he can tell that as an absolute joke to somebody saying it has absolutely nothing to do with Scientology. Yeah. Uh, and whenever you print that in a magazine or a newspaper, it is the absolute quote that he should say, despite the fact that the way he said it was <laughs> antithetical to what is going no. on. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was gonna say you got to narrow it down. What's your favorite one, John? Oh, I mean the it's 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 the highway scene, or like also I I so the other ones that make me I talked about the the scene in the beginning where uh, with with Kit's agent, which I fucking I God just love that scene so much, and and the first like the the GIF audition scene, just I cry uh, every time that happens, where he's like, you know, do you have any experience? <laughs> Uh, yeah, and experience in theater in, in cinema is like, oh yeah, lot. He goes lots, lots of experience. Uh, I I see movies uh, biweekly. Biweekly. Uh, Do you have any experience in motion pictures? Oh uh, yeah, quite a bit actually. I have quite a bit of experience. I'm uh, an active uh, renter at Blockbuster, and I um, attend the film to cinema uh, as as much as possible weekly, biweekly. Interweek, intermediately. I thought about coat shopping an entirely different way after watching this movie the first time. <laughs> yeah, those like Steve Martin moments as well, where he just does his little like his his sort of facial acting, right? His like expression acting that he gets to do here, uh, where he where he where he jacks that that like that shouldn't be funny. That's not that's like old person humor, but like somehow Steve Martin makes that absolutely fucking hilarious because i uh i saw him and martin short whenever they came through austin a couple of months ago and like they're very very funny but they still do so much physical humor yeah and like so many of the things that they do you just go like this is the stupidest thing that i've ever seen in my life but i don't know if it's because it's them (laughs) or if it's because they just have like a certain resonance of like the exact timing because it's like the oldest gag in the world but like they were making me laugh at the stupidest shit i've ever heard in my life (laughs) Like it's like my dad's C C set, but it's giving me A plus giggles. <laughs> For some reason, one of the weird things that Steve Martin is like very funny at is is and he does it in this. If you look at like the wall in his um in his house, is like the not like the fake career this person has had and like he does that in in Only Murders as well. And it's just <laughs> for some reason that's uh, just a really funny like, gag. It, uh, have, I don't know if you paid attention, but there's the Hugo story, which is his uh, ode to L.A. story uh, behind his desk at uh, his uh, oh, studio. Oh, I missed that one. Oh, yeah, I missed that one. One of the posters uh, that you see behind his desk over and over is his Hugo story, and it's an L.A. story, essentially, poster. The Once Upon a Mattress poster is hysterical. Like, I don't even know. It's just, it's so fucking random and great. And, like, I love the way he just, like, creates these backstories for his, like, bad actor characters. Um you know, as both yeah, those characters are, both in, in both Finger and Only Murders, and like, uh, it's my, just, it's so delightful. My buddy at Mondo works in the soundtrack department, and they just put out, or they put out the uh, Steve Martin song from uh, Only Murders in the Building, the, like, Angels on Flip Flops. 
They put it out as an actual vinyl. So, like, at some point, like, Steve Martin, I uh, hope he stays with us for forever, but is going to leave this yeah. uh, mortal earth uh, and leave behind, like, multiple careers of fake men. And we'll never know who the true Steve Martin was <laughs> and what he was sincerely behind. I will also say, like, uh, before we before we move on to our our final topics here, um, I so Steve Martin's one of one of the you know couple dozen or whatever celebrities that I've met in my life. Oh boy, and he is fucking huge, like like an imposing man, and he plays this like you think of him as this sort of tall, gangly type. The guy is like built like a fucking linebacker. He is absolutely terrifying. He's like seven feet tall. Um, and and yeah, uh, he was delightful and very nice to me. I was like, I don't know, 16 at the time or something. And okay. Like, yeah. The way that you were describing you know. him, I thought you might have been like six <laughs> because uh, I could have no. only seven feet tall. <laughs> no, he's very big and, and, and intimidating. Um, but I yeah. just don't so want to Google kind of like, Steve Martin big. No, don't do that. Uh, so ever ever since then, my understanding of his like physicality is so much different because it was always like the jerk, you know, this sort of like awkward, gangly guy, and like, no, he's actually uh, super imposing and could kick your ass. Um, Crazy, probably still to this day. Yeah, he also is like one of those weird people who's been old my whole life, which is weird. Oh, he's been old everybody's life. It's yeah, seventies. He had gray hair, and then he was basically forty for forever. And it's only now that he's starting to get like really old that we're like, oh, you're aging. And there's that joke about that where he's like, I'm 48. I could probably pass for 46, 41, maybe 38. But <laughs> once you hit 50. <laughs> uh, and what's funny is uh, while I was doing research for this episode, I found that if they totaled up the dollars for every week that he put it in there from the date of his 10th birthday, it actually adds up for him being 52 years old. <laughs> That's, That's a good. fucking great joke. <laughs> Right, and, and it's only for some the weirdo who was like, I'm going to add this up just really quickly to see what the age comes out to. And they were just confused whenever they got the answer. I, that's the sort of thing that Mark Hoffmeyer would do. Like, mm. very few people would actually bother. That is fucking hilarious. And also, that's also one of my favorite lines where he's like, I thought movies cost millions of dollars to make. He's like, that's after residual no, Literally the most made up words that checking. you just said. <laughs> Movies actually cost $2,801. If you've ever just kissed a swarthy man after giving <laughs> another man $25 for the privilege, uh, and then they start saying any of those words, just walk out of there. That's not a real audition. <laughs> uh, solid advice. Um, all right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Do you have anything else that you researched that we should know that we that we haven't covered well, yet? I have a question for both of you, and John, you might have mentioned mentioned this in the intro and I, I forgot, but it was there ever good. talk of a sequel to this or no? No. No, not, good. no. No. Yes. Good. Yeah. They should make Chubby Rain. One hundred percent would have watched Chubby Rain. But no, this movie it was like a mid budget comedy for like nineteen ninety nine. So it was like relatively high because like it's Steve Martin, it's Eddie Murphy, like these things still cost money. So I think it was like a fifty million dollar movie and I think it made basically that domestic and then probably made money overall internationally, but it was like kind of like this like mid tier, like you did your job, kid, and uh, we're not gonna make any more of those. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, it's wild, Joe, because like Again, this is uh, this movie is right in your in your your duration wheelhouse of like ninety seven minutes or something. Um, 
Yeah, and and I we talked when when we talked about Office Space that I struggle sometimes with like feature length comedies because they tend to run out of steam. Um, you know, I for me like sixty minutes in, uh, this one kind of never does because it just you have to sort of <laughs> follow it through to the end, obviously. But like, it it really blows my mind that I mean, we have, we haven't really talked even about really any of them yet, aside from american movie but 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 this 99 in addition to like everything else about it like many of my favorite comedies ever like of the top 10 favorite comedies like five of them came out this year um and this is very 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 high towards the top like this is one of my favorite i think one of the funniest movies i've ever seen in my life um and and i love it but i also love a couple other movies from this year so um i have a a a quick trivia question for you because there's a really weird little bit of trivia about this movie um that i discovered in researching it okay eddie murphy had the 35th highest grossing movie of the year Mm -hmm. and he had the 37th highest grossing movie of the year Mm. that movie is life which we will talk about later sandwiched between Number 35 and number 37 is another comedy starring another SNL alum. Can you guess what that movie is? It's just one SNL alum? It's not multiple? There's probably multiple, but it is a vehicle for an SNL alum. Got it. Superstar. No. Um... I couldn't even think of what's 1999. <laughs> it is one that hopefully we will cover in like years like eight years <laughs> oh no now is it like corky romano you're so close you're so close is it think even worse than that think better slightly better than that but okay pretty, pretty, pretty bad hmm is it the ladies man uh, you're again you're like you're right in the you're you're circling the target here oh boy this is a tough one for me i'm having a good time though <laughs> yeah so uh i will with ladies man i will tell you um same generation Wait. of snl is it deuce bigelow it is deuce bigelow <laughs> uh would that be male gigolo or european gigolo oh no male gigolo this is the first one got it so it was still when they were good and pure <laughs> uh yeah i guess yeah um uh european gigolo came out in 2005 but deuce bigelow it's a redundant word european gigolo in europe (laughs) uh so yeah joey hopefully we can find reasons to not talk about that movie for no i'm gonna stop doing the show before we do that (laughs) i just want to see what joey's gonna look like after he watches two deuce bigelows like i feel like you look look so morose we would only watch one I, Deuce Bigelow, if any, but we're not going to watch any of the Deuce Bigelows. But, I've uh, seen zero Deuces so far to, to date, and I would like to keep it like that for as long as I possibly can. I do think it's well, wild, though, that Eddie Murphy's two big movies were like two spaces apart from each other in the box office for the year. That is extraordinarily unlikely, but um, there you go. Oversaturation? Was that, that was the year that Life came out? It was, yeah. Yes. Also a great movie. All right, now we can move on to our our final round. Hey, Greg, it might be it might be this movie, but what is your favorite movie from nineteen ninety nine? Ah, boy, it's a tough one. I'd have to really like look it up and uh, comb through it because I feel like 
Man, 99's got some real great ones. Or just one that comes off the top of your head. Some people know it right off the bat. Some people mull it over. Some people look at a list. Instinctively, I always want to say The Matrix just because, like, The Matrix is really just one of the best movies. It's the right answer. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like you go, what what would I watch right now? And if The Matrix is ever on, I will stop what I'm doing and go, yeah, I just watch it. It's cool as shit. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. And then I don't know if I know this just from, like, knowing the kind of movies you pick. I don't know if I do or not, but do you have a favorite movie of all time? I mean, that's kind of one of those, like, floating questions that you, yeah. like, I always yep. just generally say, uh, like, Brazil or Blade Runner, uh, somewhere in those wheelhouses. I'm very much okay. like a, uh, I like uh, Terry Gilliam and I like my Ridley Scotts. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, boy, cool. Mystery Men came out in 99. You guys forget to uh, remind me about that one. <laughs> Play it to I... the bone with Woody Harrelson and Antonio Banderas. Bloodsport 4. There's so many options. You understand that we're doing a podcast because there are some... <laughs> right, but just... The theme of our podcast is, boy, a lot of great movies came out in 1999. But the fact that you didn't Sorry, remind man. me that Inspector Gadget also came out in 1999 just... I like should have said Mystery Men. I was like, by the way... By omission. Before you answer, Mystery Men came... Like, Mystery Men is authentically one of my favorite movies of all time, so... Um, America so loves awesome Greg Kinnear in a supporting role. Oh my God! Bloodsport, so the dark Kumite. Oh boy, yeah. I've never seen part yeah. four. No, <laughs> uh, but Laird, who I know from Draft House in Austin, uh, gave it three stars, which uh, is on the high end of what anybody on Letterboxd has ever given a movie. So. I, can, I consult with almost all of my odd movie choices whenever I'm circling those drains, going, "I'm going to make this choice," and I go, "Oh, Laird liked it. I'm down with that." I know this is a strange thing to say on a podcast that's covered Simon Says, but uh, Joey, I will I will much sooner watch Bloodsport four than Deuce Bigelow. Uh, just, just, just good. So. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, fighting movies are always going to at least have cool stuff. Deuce Bigelow, Deuce Bigelow might, you know, might not. Bowfinger's a fighting movie at the end. It's got a great, sure, great fight sequence uh, at the end there. Um, yeah, Bowfinger, uh, big winner after a string of not so not so big winners. That we've had yeah i'm on, so happy to on. be able to come in at your breath of fresh air to see joey so much recovered <laughs> because he does not seem like he has been enjoying his uh his dance through 1999 as long as it had it's, a it's dennis it's rodman been stop it's been a weird, well, the dennis a weird thing is i just i found that on letterboxd and i was like i we can't not do this movie that i'm not going to really enjoy but i need to see and i need to know what it is and i left that movie thinking dennis rodman pretty okay actor which is yeah. a weird takeaway Yep. We'll put best, it on a shirt best for thing you. About that movie. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Best thing about that movie. Um, yeah. All right. So we're back on track. And let's hope we remain back on track, Joey. Uh, and speaking of which, get out your lawnmower and look out for frogs. Look out for frogs. Thanks, Greg. Great having you. Thank, Thank you, Greg, so for having me on, guys. It was an honor. I had very much fun. Everybody was kung fu.